Let's turn together the scriptures to Jeremiah chapter 2. We're a few weeks into a series that uh, is based around Jeremiah 2.13. And the next, it'll be the next six weeks. Uh, we'll continue with this. And then that's when Advent starts. So if you're not convinced that time moves quickly, we're that close to all that uh, happening. And that's going to be a, just a fantastic season, of course. Um, and so Jeremiah 2, verse 13 God is offering uh, a word of correction and redirection and an invitation back to himself, uh, to his people. And he says this, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We spent the last couple of weeks Focus on the very first part of that verse about what it means to be the people of God because uh, we have to understand what that means in order to understand why this is such a big deal to the Lord. And so uh, to see ourselves as he sees us, uh, made in his image, that connection that he has to you and to me because we are... uh, like in a very literal way, created in his image, the way that a child is in the image of that child's parents. And so he's, he's saying, this is, this is what's supposed to be. I am your God, you're my people. You will be my people, I will be your God. There's this relationship that's there. And he's speaking this to Israel, and so this is obviously a very specific context, but the New Testament connects us into the same Group of ideas, and so we're just basically taking this verse and dragging it into our context, uh, because what he is telling them is really it's a human pattern. In the verse, which we'll talk about a little more, he's saying you've uh, you have turned your back on me. I'm I'm here to be your God. I was created. I've created you to be to be your God, and there are things that you are searching for that you were created to find them in me. And yet, somewhere in there, you have become convinced that I am not enough. And so you have sought out your own solutions to these things that you're searching for. And he uses this agricultural metaphor. So look at it again. He says, uh, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, uh, speaking to uh, the like ancient Near East... And how agriculturally driven their whole like culture was. If you had a piece of land and you had a river or a stream or a spring, that was like you were you were in good shape. That was the ideal. Uh, you wanted water that that uh, was moving through your land. So that you could water your crops, so that you could, uh, so that your flock could have water, so that your family could have water. Uh, that was that was the ideal, and because it was moving, and because uh, in some cases, like a spring, the the source of it was mysterious. They they looked at this as being alive. They said that water is alive. Uh, if you look at a stagnant pool, that water is not moving. There's no life to it at all. And so, this idea of living water was very familiar to them. 
And so when God says, I'm, the, I'm like a fountain of living waters, he's saying, I'm like a river, I'm like a stream, I'm like a spring on your land. And you are choosing to dig for yourself a cistern. And so living water, was the, that's, that's what you wanted. That was your like, best choice as a landowner. Your second best would be like a, like a well. Your third option would be a cistern. And so in that part of, of the world, there's lots of limestone. And our resident geologist, Greg Keller, was telling me a few weeks ago that limestone is, is in layers. like It's like pancakes like that. And so a cistern is just a pit. And so you're talking about a lot of work to dig through layers and layers and layers of rock to ultimately make this big pit. And then they would create this kind of paste uh, kind of thing that would harden and they would would uh, put it all on the inside to try to make like maybe kind of like a bathtub, swimming pool kind of situation. Uh, and then channel, try to get water into that and let it fill up. And then that is where they got their water from, whether it was for the crops or their animals or their families. And we know from South Louisiana, we know from mosquito abatement alone, right? You're not supposed to let, let standing water, like you're supposed to always turn those things over because mosquitoes come and that water gets really stagnant and really gross really, really quickly. And there's no exception over there. Um, and then because of the, because of the layers of rock, that rock would, uh, things would shift sometimes or it was just never really very stable. And so that plaster would end up cracking and then all the water would, uh, drain out of it. And so this was a, it was a lot of, a lot of work and it would eventually, it would break and it was just very unreliable. And so what God is doing, he's saying, when, when you turn away from me, it's like turning your back to a river on your land and choosing right next to it to dig this cistern that's going to hold stagnant, dirty water that's going to make everybody sick. Uh, and eventually it's going to crack and all the water is going to go out and it's going to be broken. And broken cisterns would eventually become graves. That's what they were eventually used for when they could no longer be patched. And they would have understood that really well because you'd be crazy to turn your back on living water in order to choose a cistern. He's trying to help them see that when they turn to their own solutions, that's what's happening. And for them, it was a a matter of idolatry. All the nations around them would worship these these carved images. It could be, or they could carve it into a tree or they could chisel it out of rock, but they would they would worship things that represented the sun and the moon and the stars and these different gods that were made up and all this kind of stuff. And so for Israel, they kept turning to these other gods for things. Meaning, meanwhile, the living God, the true God, is there. And so that's what he's trying to help them to understand. And so several weeks ago, and I've just felt really drawn to this, I felt like the Lord was like, hey, this... This is not an ancient problem. This is a this is like a human pattern here. And um, but for us, in like in modern times, it's it's maybe not as much of a matter of forsaking the Lord, like turning our back on Him to bow down to worship something else. It's it's a little bit more of trying to have all of it at one time, you know, of saying like, yes, God is my source of of all this goodness and. I also like these other sources of things too. Like, can I, can I have all of that at once? And it's a big deal to the Lord because he's like, he's like, I know that seems like 
Like you're not excluding me, but but it's it's not how this works. It's not how I created things to work. It's it's this really subtle kind of idolatry that we fall into. And so in bringing this to our church this fall, this is not a, an indictment. It's not a, uh, here's a pastoral assessment of where, where we are. Isn't that at all? Um, I believe it's a matter of, of God showing us these are, these are potential things for you where, and for us. Where, where we live in the deep south of the USA uh, these are common things that come up. And so you might hear over the next six weeks, you might hear things that are really encouraging to you uh, as far as like your perspective and what God has done in your life. And so some of this may be really affirming. And then there may be other times where God's just trying to show you because he loves us. Like, hey, this, these are some, some cisterns that you're digging for yourself. These are, there's, these are some things you're looking to, to in search of something that I am here to provide. And he doesn't want us drinking from the broken cistern. He doesn't want us relying on those things. He's like, I want you to function as I made you to function. That's why Jesus came, right? To, to forgive our sins, to heal us, to give us new life so that we can live the life we were intended to live in the first place before sin and brokenness came in. And so uh, when I first started out, I, I kind of thought it was going to be a matter of like, well, let's just pick some idols and let's talk about why they're bad. And the Lord kind of rerouted some things. And so rather than talking about the like specific idols or cisterns, the starting point is going to be more of like, what are, what are we after? You know, like, what are we searching for in the first place? Because that's what a lot of ancient Near Eastern idolatry was, was about is Whatever you were searching for, that would lead you toward this false god or this false god or this false god. You know, and I, for for example, like if you were searching, if you were a landowner and you were wanting your crops to produce well, you're in search of a fruitful harvest. You would go to Dagon. That's the false god that you would would pay sacrifice to and, and worship. Um, if you were if you were trying to start a family and you were searching to have a baby, you'd go to a fertility god like Asherah. Um, and so it, it starts off with what are you looking for, and then that will determine the idols that you pursue. And so we're going to kind of build it really more around like what are the things what are the things that we are all searching for, and what are some of the tendencies. Uh, some of the idols being offered to us that we fall into. And so this morning we'll start off uh, with with one that is is across the board for all of us, and is it is what I'm I just just calling it just a sense of of belonging. Like we all want to, we all want to be a part of a group of people. We want we want to belong somewhere, and. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't know if some of you are too young to remember this, but I was a kid, I was one of the kids that watched Cheers uh, growing up. You guys remember Cheers? Anybody? Um, I was probably too young to be watching Cheers, honestly, but uh, I loved that show. And still to this day, I think it's, it's so well written and the characters are so interesting. And the, it's about this group of friends who have this thing in common, which is that they all go to this bar, apparently every day after work. And they just hang out with each other until it's like time to go home. 
And uh, while that's a rather sad uh, plot in general, uh, the it's character driven, like like any good TV show. But there become there there is this like sense of family that develops, and and a part of that is probably why they chose the theme song. And you guys probably know the theme song. Uh, sometimes you want to go where where everybody knows your name, right? And they're always glad you came. Uh, and that that idea in the theme song is reflected in the show of like, yeah, this is a place. Cheers, the bar is a place where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. And that I remember as a kid being like, man, that is that's cool, you know. Not so much like the bar part of it, but just being a part of a group in some way. But if you were to say, like, which character on Cheers would you want to be? There's probably really only one character that we would all connect to in this way, and that would we would all want to be Norm Peterson, right? So what happens when Norm walks in the door? What happens? Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't very good. Afternoon, everybody. Yeah, the whole bar screams this guy's name every time he walks in. They don't do it for anybody else, only for him. So he walks in, they all say, Norm, and then... Uh, someone's like, how's your day, Norm? And then he says something super witty and like goes on with the show. It's like a part of the, one of the like tropes, right? And so, um, there's something about that little community, but there's something about Norm. Like, what would it be like for every time you walked in the room, the whole room, like, like, like said your name because they were so pumped that you were there, you know? We all want we all want that, and there's nothing wrong with that. We were created in the image of a community. It says in Genesis one, when God made us, the Father, Son, Spirit said, "Let's make man in in our image, in our likeness." And so, a part of bearing the image of God is that we're made in the image of a community. We're we're inherently created. For connection with others. That's how God decided to do it. And it's awesome. And we're searching for that belonging because he made us that way. And in our searching, that sense of belonging and being wanted is found ultimately in him and what he has to offer us. And so uh, we're on this search and he is the answer to the search. And it's great. And so I don't at all present that as like, Something to feel like we shouldn't be seeking. No, we were made to seek it. It's good. We were meant to belong. We were meant to be wanted. We were meant to have everyone holler our name when we walk in the door. You know, I told the early service, if y'all want to start that tradition, we can start it. We can talk about that later on. You know, it'd be fantastic. But made in that image, and like I talked about last week, when sin came in, that got distorted and a lot of things got messed up. And one of the things that happened to the image of God in us when, when uh, sin entered the picture is that we all became horribly insecure. And even the most prideful among us, like pride is really just an insecurity, just masking as confidence. But we're all like super insecure. And so we're on this search for something. And we're looking for belonging. We're looking for, for being wanted. And because we're insecure, we become afraid that either we don't belong or that we won't belong. We, we start to fear that we're unwanted, starting to fear that loneliness is our destiny. 
And ultimately, we have to, we'll have to live with like the rejection of never really having like any sense of belonging or being wanted, you know. That's the dark end of that road, but that's kind of what sin and brokenness has done to us, is it's taken this really good thing and it's twisted it. It works against us. And that's, that's part of why Jesus came. And he's like, hey, you weren't created to be insecure. You weren't, you weren't created, uh, you weren't created for that. So Jesus comes and in our forgiveness and in that exchange of life, of, of the heart of stone, the heart of flesh, I've been talking about the last few weeks, in restoring that image of God, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you once again how to find your belonging and help you be confident in the fact that you're wanted. And for that to all play the role it's supposed to play. And that's a part of our journey, uh, like our journey forward is learning to heal in that regard and learning, learning to find that belonging and all of that in the, in the right ways, in the right places. And that's what he's teaching us. And that's even part of what a day like today is about. It's a part of him showing us things that we need to know. And so first we have to, we have to be honest, though, about places that we tend to look for it. And so if what we're searching for is belonging, we tend to find that, like the broken cistern we tend to dig is with people, with relationships that we, that we have. And I was, was thinking through, um, like, okay, well, how do you, how do you sum this up? And I was just drawn towards some of the, like some things that have been fairly common in the last 10, 20 years of, of looking at Greek words. For, for love in the Bible, um, and how that kind of reflects some things. And so, as far as subcategories go, like I could say, we find our, we look at people and we shouldn't, you know, let me get more specific than that. Um, the first Greek word that, uh, is, uh, philia, which is like a friendship kind of love, that, that in our friendships with one another, uh, in a healthy friendship, you sh- you should feel like you belong there, like and that you are wanted there. There's that's great. That's a healthy, like wonderful, God given thing. And for some of you, like that's that's like some of the most, some of the, your greatest senses of belonging and being wanted is from your friends, and that's wonderful. Um, but the the insecure side of us will sometimes lead us to where our, our sense of worth and of value will, will rise or fall uh, based on interactions with those friends. could be one friend, could be a group of friends, however it is. And so when you find your, your worth and your value rising and falling based on that, then that, that's indicative that, hey, I'm, I'm probably looking to that friend or group of friends I'm probably expecting something out of them that they were not created to provide. That's probably a broken cistern that I have somehow hewed out and dug out for myself. Um, and that's something that we probably all experience. You know, you, um, you have a weird interaction with a friend or uh, they, they have a bad day, they take it out on you, but somehow that becomes like your own fault or... Uh, you get left out of something. You get excluded in some sort of way. You're you're not in the loop as fast as some of the other friends about things. And 
I mean, I could just keep going and going and going. And there's this assumption that like everybody's hanging out all the time uh, and I'm never invited to any of it. Uh, like it just starts to like compound and to build and, and those things begin to bully you and push you around to where your worth tends to plummet on the negative side or uh, it tends to like send you sky high when someone does, conf- they confide in you, they include you or something like that. And so whether it's puffing us up or it's like, like dropping us super low, that your friendships were never meant to do that, you know? Like our worth and our value were never meant to come from those friendships. And that's expecting something of them that they just inherently were not created to provide. And yet it's very easy for us to fall into that trap. And sometimes that leads to like whenever you get to where you're so desperate to belong and to, and to be wanted, it leads to compromise tons of times. And part of us, I think, thinks that, like, yeah, well, like, I remember in middle school, I really wanted to fit in. And so I, I'm in high school, so I made some bad choices because I wanted to fit in. You didn't want to fit in. You wanted to belong somewhere. Like, you wanted to be wanted. You can fit in anywhere, right? Like, you can, uh, you can go to Tiger Stadium and wear LSU stuff and cheer for the Tigers. And you kind of, you kind of belong there, right? Like you're, that's like you're in place. But you're not necessarily wanted there. Like you, we want a connection to what's happening. We want people to like to know us and to be like happy that we're there and to miss us when we're gone and all that kind of stuff. And in our searching of that, we can put a lot of pressure on our friendships if we're not careful. And sometimes it leads to co- situations like codependency, and sometimes it ends up to I'll do whatever I have to do to belong with this group of people, even if it means compromising what I believe. Or who I am. Uh, and it's not just something for uh, early adolescence. It's something that carries us, carries with us for a long time. And so friendships can be one of those broken cisterns in the people uh, idea. Uh, another Greek word that came to mind was eros, which is a like romantic, intimate kind of love that is for uh, marriage. And certainly marriage can become idolatrous, right? Marriage can become, uh, you can look to your spouse to provide things that they were never, they were not created to provide to you. But yet, our culture has lied to us a lot. Movies have lied to us a lot. And books have lied to us a lot. TV has lied to us a lot. And basically, uh, every kind of advertising ever, our whole world has lied to us so much about what that, that romantic relationship is there to provide, and if we buy into it, and if we if we if you look to your spouse to to get things out of them that God is has created you for Him to be the provider of, um, then that is you're making them into a cistern. And sometimes your spouse is okay with that, and that's where real codependency comes in. Is you have. Uh, you have someone who is who is needing something, and then someone who loves to be needed and to provide it. And this this cycle that develops, and it's not healthy at all. And so, if you're again, if your worth and your value will rise and fall based on interactions with your spouse, whether whether that's just like normal interactions or whether we're even talking about intimacy, um, that that is an unhealthy like situation to put your spouse in and to put yourself in. Now, 
dating couples can, can fall into the same trap, you know, where you, you want to belong there. You want to be wanted, and sometimes that leads to a lot of compromise with couples who are dating. Um, there are, are, for people who are not in a romantic relationship, your securities can, can rise and fall based, based on that, based on the idea of what it would be like to be with someone. This is, this is such a potential broken cistern for us in the area of like romantic relationships. And, uh, God created that in the first place. Like he's the author of that, but it was never, Never meant to provide us with things uh, that he is there to provide us with. Another Greek word is storage. I don't, I don't know if that's how you say it. I'm not Greek. Um, but this is the love within a family, within like parent-child, that family unit. Um, another another area of potential idolatry uh, and so you're searching for belonging and being wanted. And most of the time, like kids searching for that, finding that in their parents, that's part, kind of part of how God made the family. Where, where it gets off track is when parents are finding that in their kids. Um, sometimes it's because you're, you're, you're searching for it in general. You're not finding it other places. But your kids, do they want you? Do they need you? Do you belong with them? And that... Source begins to like feed some things sometimes in a dad or in a mom. Next thing you know, that that child is playing a role that child was never meant to play in your life, and that sense of belonging just grows and grows and grows. And we've probably all seen parents whose uh, entire world revolves around their child or their children. And not in a schedule, not in like our schedule revolves around our kids. That's super normal. Not even like we love our kids with all our heart. There's such a, there's absolutely, as in all, with all these things, a healthy way to do it. But, but you know when it goes weird, right? It's just a potential thing. And so whether we're talking about friendships or marriages or dating relationships or your relationship to your kids... I, an idol will always break our heart. That cistern will always break and all the water will drain out of it and over and over and over again. One of the things though with people is that when that happens, for some reason we tend to kind of grab on a little tighter and tighter and tighter. And if you want to bring intense destruction to your friendships or your marriage or your relationship with your kids, uh, you... You, you keep grabbing on tighter to that idol, and you watch what happens. Um, it, it's terrible, you know? It's not beyond repair, of course, because Jesus has the power to change any human life, but it, it will keep happening. And so we're expecting our friends or our spouses or our kids to provide that belonging and wanting. They were never created to do that. And it'll never work. And so what Jesus, I believe, is speaking to us through what he had to say to Israel is like, hey, um, yes, you were created to belong and to be wanted. And there's a healthy way to do that. You need to be aware of the unhealthy patterns that exist around you, though. And he loves us enough 
to like bring I think things to the table to say, hey, this is worth this is worth uh, asking me to speak to. And so, if that's the broken cistern, let's look at what the living water has to say about this. Turn to John fifteen. I stuck with the pattern and just was like, let me look at some biblical words here. If the thing we're searching for is belonging, and we our broken cistern that we are tempted to turn to as people, what is God what is God offering us? You know? We know what the broken cistern looks like. What does the river look like? What does the fountain look like? And ultimately it, it looks like love. That, that's what the search for belonging and being wanted, that's what it is. It's like, man, I, I just want to be loved. God created you to be loved. And so it's a search for a, a good thing. And so for him to come to you and say, hey, you're looking, uh, you're searching for this in places that are broken. But I'm offering you this very thing in abundance, like an eternal supply. Uh, there's a couple of words that come to mind. One of them is in the Old Testament, the word hesed. This shows up often in God dealing with Israel. Here's one place, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's that word hesed. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love, like the most probably, like to connect it to us, it is it is commitment. It's this loyal steadiness of his love to where he's he's saying, I'm not going to be good to you just because like I said I would. I'm good to you because I love you. Like there's that that's it. That's the reason. That he doesn't have to default to anything else. I love you because I love you. He has said of the Lord toward us. That, that's what we're searching for. And, and that's what we have found in him. Right? That's part of what we're singing about today. What we're celebrating today. Why every gathering of God's people is this reminder that, that the has said of God has found us. And his name is Jesus and he's alive. You know, like that's. That's it. That's why we're here. There's the hesed of God in the Old Testament. And the, the New Testament word would be agape, which is the same, the same idea, this, this love that originates with God that, that is forever acting toward the good of another through self-sacrifice. It's God saying, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. You know? Look in John 15 where you turned. In talking about love, this is the word that he uses. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. See, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's like, he goes, hey guys, I need your attention here. Uh, I chose you. And 
although this is a conversation he's having in a very specific way, it's also this whole entire interaction is a larger conversation, like a larger communication to all disciples. And he's looking at us and he's saying, hey, I need your attention here. You know, I chose you, right? Like, I chose to leave heaven and come to the earth to, to look at you and say, come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Like, I did that on purpose. And so if you struggle with being wanted, Jesus is very clear. You're wanted. He created us because he wants us. You know, it's like one of those one of those great myths about God is that he he created us because he needed something to love. You know, I, totally false. God doesn't need anything. Father, Son, Spirit, completely content with one another. They weren't sitting around being like, guys, there's a void. I'm just not sure what it is. Let's let's create a bunch of rebellious you know sons and daughters and this and this and this. They're totally totally not about need and absolutely about want. That's what love. That's what love does. Love wants, and so our belonging that we are this thing we're searching for finds its home in our Lord. Look a few verses ahead of that in John fifteen, where you are. Look at verse twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. I don't know if um, if you need more proof that God wants you and that you belong with him and to him. But Jesus laid down his life. He says, there's, there's no greater demonstration of love than this. And so if our search is us asking, am I wanted? Am I loved? Am I... A, do I belong anywhere? The answer in Christ is yes. All the promises find their yes in him. It doesn't matter how long you've been around church and that message, that should, that should never fail to land deeply with us, you know. But yes, he chose us. And then he gave us another gift. This is in Galatians 4. It says, when the fullness, this is verse 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What does that, what does that mean? Well, we're all adopted into the family of God. Created in his image. Sin marred that. Jesus came and healed that. And through faith invites us into his family. Which means every one of us is a son or a daughter in this family. And guess what happens when you belong to the Lord and you belong to his family, it means that the church, like the capital C church, is a place of belonging for you. 
and wanting. But you have this big global church that's just, it's a big planet, right? And so uh, take that church and we just kind of like make little subgroups here and there. And then that's how you get a bunch of churches. And so here at Living Hope, this, this is supposed to be a place of belonging for you and for anyone who wants to come in the door. And it's twofold. One, it is to remind you that you belong to the Lord. Like there is belonging with you and the Father, Son, Spirit, that you are wanted by the God of the universe and that Jesus is the yes to that. And so when we come together, there should be this, like in case we forgot when we, when we were separate, hey, let's be reminded. And so it's this like vertical affirmation of that. But that also finds its expression in the horizontal relationships that we have. Like this should also be a place where you like belong. And not like you belong at Tiger Stadium because you're wearing purple and gold. Like you belong here because people know who you are and you you share your life with them and they share their lives with you and you walk together through all seasons of life, no matter what struggles or victories come our way. And this is like a place where you might not walk in and everyone like screams your name, but it has that same sentiment to it. And where you're missed when you're not there. And that's one of the bummers about having two services is that there's people that you don't see very often. We, I feel like that's a part of what we've had to sacrifice um, in, in terms of growth is maybe, maybe kind of not having that thing as if we had a big enough place to hold everyone. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But like that's what should be being fostered here among us is... Is that and you might be here and say, "Well, I don't feel known. I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel wanted here." And um, I hope that you will hang in there long enough to let that develop, because I can say this wholeheartedly: we are working on that always. We're trying to f- figure out how do you do that on a Sunday? How do you do that in community groups? How do you do that with spiritual mentoring? How do we do that with ministry teams? How do we how do we keep connected? Because we're supposed this is where you're supposed to find that sense of belonging. That if nowhere else in your entire life you find it, you should be able to find it with the people of God. And we have to work together to figure out what that looks like. And I do hope that you'll hang in there with us. Um, but again, that is secondary. You know, First we belong and we're wanted by him. And in a secondary sense, we belong and we're wanted by one another. And so what Jesus is trying to help us do is, is to say, okay, let's, let's, let's get that figured out. You know, Let's make sure that we're drawing from the fountain of living water. We're, we're pulling everything in, in, in all the ways that, uh, that we were created to from him. And we're not putting those expectations on people. And what happens when we get that order right is that our friendships carry the right amount of weight. You know? And our marriage is the same thing. And our dating relationships the same thing. And our relationship to our kids. Like everything else falls into that order when, when, all of, when our entire source of everything is not these broken cisterns. It's this fountain that we have. And it all just orders out. He has this incredible way of doing that. And so you, this might not be something today that like people, that might not be... Like your search for belonging and being wanted, that might be something you've worked your way through already, you know? And so I hope that that's encouraging to you if that's the case. But if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I I think I have some work to do in this area. 
What, what do I do about it? You know? Um, well, that will be covered in an increasing manner in the next couple of weeks because there's not time to do a whole lot of that. But I'll say this. The first thing is to be humble enough to acknowledge this is what God's showing me. Like God, God has exposed some things today that I need to pay attention to. And you just kind of bring that to the Lord and say, okay, I, I hear, I, I'm, I'm coming on board with you. Would, would you help me just, would you help me as this keeps going forward? There's no pressure to do this. You don't, this is not something, a switch that you just flip. It's, it's a learned thing. And Jesus, Definitely ready to teach us. And so I, I hope that this, as I said earlier, I said in the earlier service, I hope this makes sense. There's plenty of Saturday nights where I'm like, none of this makes sense at all. This is going to be, no one's going to have a clue what I'm talking about. But I, I hope that you sense that God is, is, uh, is call, like always calling us back to Him. Like he's rough on Israel, but he had to get their attention. Sometimes he can be like rough on us in a sense, like it feels rough sometimes, but there's, it's so loving. And he's like, just look at how good I am, you know? And so I hope whatever, you, whatever God's stirring within you, that you feel encouraged uh, to go forward. And so what we have done uh, pre-COVID, we kind of had some different things we would do, but during all this, we just... We like to just kind of sing afterwards, you know. And so this can be a time of singing. This can also be a time of prayer for you if you just need to spend some time talking to Jesus about this. And I always say, like, hey, these steps are open if you need to kneel and come and pray. Because sometimes it's, you just need to get out of the the aisle a little bit. But um, that may or may not be your thing. That's always an, an option. But that's what the next few minutes are for. Because once we're done... Your Sunday commences, you know, sometimes our attention goes to all the places that it has to go. But maybe for these next few minutes, we just keep it locked in, you know. So let's stand together. I want to pray for us. Then I'm going to read a passage over us before we sing. Lord, I'm so thankful for your uh, your honesty with your people. Um. For the, just the countless times that you sent uh, a prophet to them or you sent uh, an angel sometimes or uh, the best, of course, is when you sent your son to speak words of truth and life and to um, just to really shoot straight with your sons and daughters about your love and your plans and the need for us to lay some things down. And so I pray this morning that if, if in any way we are, uh, if we're searching for belonging in places, uh, in, well, in the people around us, I pray that you would help us to recognize that. Even if it's not fun or pleasant, or if we don't even know what that means totally, We just want to sense that you're stirring something in us if that needs to be the case. And so may we receive that with confidence. Uh, May we trust you that you you know what it looks like to to turn from the broken cistern and to completely look to you to find the very things we were created to get from you. So we thank you. Thank you for your kindness. 
as we sing songs of your your love and your sacrifice and just who you are to us. I pray that that would be a part of our realignment and whatever we need this morning. We love you and we thank you. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 7. He's speaking to Israel. He says, you are... He's speaking to us as well. We're part of them. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people on the face of the earth. It's not because you are more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you. He's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That's why he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. May that resonate with us deeply that he just loves us because he loves us. It's not because of how we perform. It's not because of uh, it's not because of our track record. It's not because of anything else. It's not because he's needy. He just loves you because he loves you. And may that sink deeply into our hearts this morning. All right, let's sing.